It just makes for wonderful sales of newspapers, I'm sure, for them to speculate that I fed him to the tigers, which is crazy. Welcome back, Oscar fans. We are in about as weird a time for following the Oscars as we've ever been in. Movie theaters are almost universally completely closed. Many of the major studio releases we've been anticipating have been pushed back, in some cases, all the way to 2021. And yet, at the same time, people are watching more content and often more movies specifically than ever because, let's face it, there's only so much to do when you're holed up at home. So what all this builds toward, potentially, is a scenario where the Academy will have to make some form of adjustment to the Oscar requirements It might allow some content that in other years would not be eligible for an Oscar to be eligible this year. So what I want to do today is break down some of the content that's being most watched currently and then try to project as best we can, absent yet any revised eligibility guidance from the Academy, what might be relevant come Oscar time and a couple of these that most certainly won't be. So joining me virtually to do this is someone who is always up to speed on what's on the streaming services uh, as much as anybody I know. Susie O, thanks for joining the OCC. Hi, Jake. How are you? I'm good. How have your viewing habits changed during Shelter in Place so far? I mean, I think now I am definitely on more streaming services. Um, I definitely have my favorites of Netflix and HBO, but now I'm digging into Hulu. Um, Now there's new IMDb. So, I mean, and definitely I am watching more categories of different things. So that has definitely changed. And I think most people are doing what we are doing. You know, you can't even go to the movie theaters. So just have to um, watch what's on streaming. I think maybe that's also um, taking a toll on my bandwidth internet, but. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering when that's just going to boil over. Um, So far, my Streaming's worked pretty much. So what I want to do, go go through a couple of the most streamed items, um, break them down, and then kind of speculate around their potential eligibility. Now, we have a couple things to go off of here. So first, we know what the Oscar eligibility requirements were this past year and what the direction's been in the past few years uh, when it comes to streamed content, episodic format, exhibition requirements. That's number one. Second, we know how the Golden Globes are going to handle this because they've already come out with their changes. They have always said that movies had to be in theaters in the greater Los Angeles area for a minimum of seven days during the qualifying year. They've already come out and said that movies that are coming out up until April 30th don't have to be, but they have to have had a bona fide theatrical release planned. So that's kind of a key caveat that they're using. Again, there's no guarantee the Oscars are going to follow the same uh, approach exactly, but there is some uh, precedent to go off here. And then the uh, other guardrail for this conversation, TV series like Ozarks and Westworld and High School Musical, the play, the TV show or whatever, are out of bounds. Those, you know, we'll talk about some limited series and we can explain why as we go. Um, but straight up TV shows are obviously not relevant to the Oscars. And then we're talking streaming only. So video on demand, like Invisible Man, Trolls World Tour. I'll do that in a different episode. I'll say to you, as of Friday, Pixar's Onward is available on Disney+. Plus. That would, in theory, be in bounds for what we're talking about. But I already did an episode on Onward. I encourage you to check it out if you're interested. And I can answer that pretty quickly. That is obviously eligible for an Oscar that played in theaters. Um, So with that, let's jump into the first category. 
documentary miniseries um, because these are probably among the most culturally relevant movies or properties at the moment, it seems. Just kind of universally um, what people are watching. And we'll start with what has consistently been the number one entry in Netflix top 10 pretty much since the start of quarantine. And that is Tiger King. It's Carol's birthday next month, and we're shipping her two of these. <laughs> Look at the fangs on that. One day I went out to open up the mailbox, and it just exploded with snakes. What a movie. What a series. <laughs> How would you begin to describe the premise of Tiger King for people who haven't seen I it? Mean, I think it's just so hard to begin. I, there are so many different ways you could go about it. Um, I think the best way is to maybe start with the end. We know how it ends and, you know, what had happened. I mean, I guess we can say pretty quickly that there's a couple of crazy people scattered throughout the country who own exotic animals and do a lot of drugs, marry multiple people each, and then try to kill each other. Yeah, I think that sums up pretty well. why why is this so popular like why is this almost risen to the level of being like a pop culture landmark during the quarantine this is just you know too over the top um people love reality tv and this just almost makes the reality tv come alive into almost a, a short movie version and there's never ending twists and turns right you you thought that you had something down there's a plot and then there comes another plot the characters are just so entertaining these are people who first of all people who love you know the the big cats they love being filmed so i think that in itself is just entertaining to me it was the plot and the characters were just too juicy too impossible to resist there's apparently going to be another episode. I this I was just reading this last night that they're going to put out another episode next week. And was, I'll be honest, I probably will watch it because I could get more of Tiger King. Basically, if you haven't seen it, you have to see it. <laughs> so I mean, there are just so many different things we could discuss. You know, I think the biggest plot is um, between Carol and Joe. Um, I think that. Uh, kind of centers around everything else that come with it. Um, Did you have any thoughts on whether, um, I think this is what people are wondering afterwards is, do you think that Carol killed her first husband? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) I mean, yes, uh, but she's denied it multiple times. She's still denying it. Her now husband has also... um, you know, denied it and is 100% on her side. The ex-husband has never been found. We don't know where he is. That's a whole nother category, I would say. I think what, like, so I thought Tiger King was kind of interesting. Like, I thought it, like, ranged in level of interest episode to episode. Like, it kind of starts out as just, like, an overview of big cats, which was fine. Like, it was, you know, Joe Exotic the main character, I guess, is a pretty charismatic, like, magnetic figure. So it's fine to watch. It then kind of takes a turn, like, episode two to three, it kind of becomes, like, a real true crime 
cold case about this possible murder from 20 years ago. Then it kind of becomes, I don't know, like a... A love story of some sort? Yeah, there's like a little bit of a tragic love story in the middle. And And I don't know if anyone felt this way, but uh, throughout the episodes, I was also getting angrier more I watched because I was just thinking more for the tigers and all the other animals being kept at the zoo. And these tigers were living at basically, you know, a private person's home. Um, If you look at Kara and her cats um, living with her in her house or even Joe um, or, um, you know, they, they would take the tigers to the Las Vegas hotels and, you know, things like that. I think it definitely, I wonder just what the animal cruelty, anti-cruelty societies have thought of this. Or I thought don't of think they people. love it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're really big fans. Um, do you think they were just making a documentary about him and then he tried to kill somebody and they turned it into a documentary about that? Or like, how did they get all that footage from the beginning? Didn't they say at one point that they were doing a documentary? So Joe knew that they were doing some sort of documentary, but I don't think he knew exactly how it would be portrayed. But again, he's somebody who likes attention. So I think he agreed to do whatever documentary it was. And then it was kind of up to Netflix to tie everything together. So do you think on like day one, like the first day they went into film, he was he already under investigation by the FBI? I think so. Got it. And so maybe, so they were probably using like some archival footage and stuff from before that to fill in the history. Because we yeah. were talking about that. We were like, how, how did they get this? Like, how did they know to start filming? At one point, I think... Um, who was it that destroys all the evidence of all the computers footage, you know? Oh, and yeah. there was a fire also that destroyed a lot of the evidence of the documentaries that they were filming. Yeah, and yet, but then they're also like using that footage that was like supposedly destroyed. That's what like I didn't understand. So maybe Netflix has a way of having multiple people film so that they have at least some footages to put everything together. Yeah, it kind of, you know, there was this other documentary a couple years ago on Netflix that actually it won Best Documentary Feature at the Oscars. It was called Icarus. And it was like this guy who started filming a documentary. You watched that too? Yeah. And he, he started filming a documentary just about doing steroids. And then it turned into like this global scandal about the Russian doping agency. And he didn't know that that's what the documentary was going to be about. And that's what we were wondering if it was like that, where they just were like, we're going to go film this guy with tigers. And then all of a sudden it turns into like a murder for hire and all this other stuff. I don't know. That could be a fun episode for you, Jake, to have somebody <laughs> from Netflix uh, documentary. Yeah. To see I'll how call- they catch all these apps. I'll, I'll call, uh, what's his name? Baga, Baga Vaga <laughs> Wild or something. Or Jeff Lowe. Um, anyway, this is pretty mindless entertainment, I would say. Like, I don't, like, did you find this to have, like, things to think about? Or, like, did you find it interesting or just sort of like a car crash? I found it interesting, um, maybe because 
where we live, um, we don't really see too many of people with, first of all, you know, big cats, second, with the lifestyle that they had. And third, a, a private zoo, I think, is also a whole nother story compared to like a public zoo and how they treat the animals and what's being viewed by the public. Um, so those are some of the things that I thought and definitely um, things about the big cats and where it is now, what, what are some regulations? So um, heavier thoughts, those are some of the things that I thought about. Um, how about you, any? So I think there's this, there's this thing, I think we'll get into it, talking about a couple of these movies about like, what goes on Netflix versus what goes in a movie theater? Because I like mostly, like I watch obviously a lot of movies. I watch like hundreds of movies a year and I don't watch as much Netflix. And as they like start making less for movie theaters and more for Netflix, in theory, you might say like, well, this is this is a good thing because more people can see it. Like it's just piped into your home. But I think that they actually design the fundamental content differently when they're trying to hold your attention while you're like on your phone or like doing other things in the house. And I feel like that's why something like this, or I don't know if you watched a couple years ago, um, Abducted in Plain Sight. I've heard of that one. It's another kind of true crime documentary. And it seems like they basically design it to just every couple, like 30 minutes, be like, whoa, that was crazy. Whoa, that's a weird, crazy thing. Oh, my God, this is getting even crazier. And it's almost like algorithmically designed to keep your attention and like make you want to tell other people to watch it. And that was kind of what I felt like I was watching. Like, it is pretty crazy. I definitely had that experience. And the interesting point to that is that, you know, Netflix never reveals the number of viewers for a specific show or a series. I am so curious to think how many people watched this movie. Like, I feel like this must have been, I don't know, a hundred, like a third of the country. <laughs> it's already um, worldly known. So, and, you know, people are sheltered at home so there i i bet this this one had a big number of viewers okay so right about the part where you see joe exotic's first music video you'd probably say to yourself tiger king could never possibly win an oscar for anything and you would be right but you might also think listening to this conversation well why are we even talking about this because it's not a movie this is a seven-part tv show so at the 2017 Oscars, best documentary feature went to something called OJ Made in America. This is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Did you see that? I did. And so that obviously was 467 minutes. It's nearly eight hours. It basically aired as a five-part ESPN 30 for 30. That doesn't really sound any different than this in, in a lot of ways, right? Other than I think it was a lot more thoughtful and, and better. But... In addition to the quality difference, there's a couple of other factors here. So first, OJ Made in America actually premiered at Sundance. It aired in 2016 with one intermission. It also played Tribeca and it had a theatrical run. So by the time it aired on ESPN, it had already qualified for the Oscars. That's number one. Number two, and by the way, I don't know if Netflix did a qualifying run for Tiger King <laughs> or not. It certainly didn't play Sundance. Number two, OJ Made in America, um, won the Oscar in February 2017. In April 2017, the Academy updated the rules to basically close this loophole. So they added language that says, in the documentary categories, 
multi-part or limited series are not eligible for awards consideration. So I'm sorry, Tiger King. Your Oscar dreams have been officially <laughs> killed. Unlike in real life, Carol Baskins didn't do it. Do you have any final words of wisdom on Tiger King? No, I think one thing to point out is we didn't talk about this, um, about his political campaign. I remember that. Like, do you do you remember, like, seeing news stories about that, like, maybe four years ago? I did not specifically about the political campaign. I mean, I've definitely seen Joe Exotic on TV but not with the political campaign. So it's interesting too for Netflix to throw that in with the with the election coming up this year. Yeah, this is, it's very scary in a lot of ways, I think. to I, I think if he ran, like, maybe he would win. I don't know. Um, all right, well, that's Tiger King. There's one other miniseries that kind of falls into this same category. So it also is not eligible, but I didn't see it. Um, but a lot of people are watching it, and that is called McMillions. I have a story for you. This story has got everything. Revenge. Drugs. Greed. Ronald McDonald. Somebody went to the FBI and said, guess what's happening? The McDonald's Monopoly game was fixed. The Bureau thought it was just some BS story. Fast food fraud was not making any list of priorities. Are you kidding me? This is what makes my fun meter go. Susie, you want to just riff on McMillions a little bit? Yeah, um, it's a mini-series about um, McDonald's Monopoly game scam that, you know, occurred between 1989 and 2001. Um, And it interviews FBI agents. Um, They have some uh, clips from when they were secretly filming them. So it kind of goes over the interviews and HBO almost just seems like they're doing a minimal effort to compile a, a current day interviews and some reenactments and some archival footages from when they ran the promotion and they try to get these guys. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the main plot of it. I thought it was really great. Um, if you like white collar crime like I do, um, it's definitely a, a, a watcher. I really liked Agent Matthews. Um, HBO did a great job casting him as the sort of a main storyteller. He's very vain. He has this laugh that just kind of um, makes you want to laugh with him. And yeah, so that it, uh, I just thought that it was um, a good plot. And uh, it almost sounds like uh, you could almost watch this as a podcast. There's not too much of a visual effect, I would say, you know, compared to Tiger King, where everything is visual. You, you're glued to the TV. You have to watch every second of it. Um, Macmillions, you could almost just close your eyes and it just takes you to the next episode, but you still are glued to the TV, maybe just with your eyes closed. So I thought HBO did a really great job just telling the story of what had happened. Do, do you remember anything, you know, back in the days about this Monopoly game? I, I remember the Monopoly game. I don't think I knew at all about the, like, scam behind it. And the interesting thing is um, it shows very ordinary people, and they were the, the main um, characters and a little bit of the organized crime. But people who are the main characters of this organized crime were just very, very ordinary. You look at a guy and you would think that, oh, he could be just the guy next door. So that was very interesting. And right after this happened, 9-11 had happened. So this kind of had 
you know, this story had died out for a little bit. So again, interesting for HBO to, you know, bring this back. And I always think about timing, you know, when, when they drop these series or documentaries, do you ever think about the timing and why it has dropped right now, you know, in the, the circumstances of shelter in place? I do think, yes, I do. That's exactly the kind of stuff that I like to think about. Like, what I guess without having seen McMillions, like what what do you think it is that like kind of works in this moment, I guess? Like I was saying, you know, this almost could be a podcast. So when in a time of people being sheltered and craving more of entertainment, um, any form of entertainment, right? I think it works really well to just draw people in. And it's it's an unbelievable story of deceit and collusion by ordinary people. And so if you, I think, touch base on Ted Bundy, where, you know, I think the whole premise of that was uh, the ordinary people, like a guy next door who looks like a guy next door could be this serial killer. So Macmillions, even though it's touching more on the white collar crime, the people involved were just very ordinary um, and I think that was the most uh, entertaining portion of this this series. I, yeah, I still I still want to watch this one. I didn't get to it in time for, for this episode, but it sounds like a crazy story. It sounds almost a little bit in the same vein of of kind of what Netflix does as far as these kind of just can you believe it type of documentaries. But that's category number one, I guess, is like the documentary miniseries. And, and we've determined that, unfortunately... If you're somebody who only watches things in case they could be nominated for an Oscar, which before you laugh, that's sort of me. Unfortunately, these ones are not going to be eligible for an Oscar, no matter how good or bad you think they are. The second category is just the straight up TV documentary. And there's a lot of those out right now. I think notable one that we'll talk about here is on HBO and it's called After Truth. The first example of Pizzagate is on a Reddit post. People become convinced that Kama Pizza is like this child rape dungeon. Somebody walking into a DC pizzeria with a rifle and firing it off. My staff go table to table, telling each table that they need to go. The customers are like, oh no, we're here to support you. No, you don't understand, there's a guy here with a gun. This is basically a fairly straightforward documentary looking at disinformation on social media. There was a Netflix documentary last year called The Great Hack that was shortlisted um, for Best Documentary Feature. I thought it was better than this movie, but it dealt with some of the same themes. Um, it was more focused on Cambridge Analytica specifically. Susie, what, what were your overall thoughts on After Truth? I think this, again, is very much what HBO does. You know, very to the point, try to get uh, facts out there. I just thought it was interesting to learn a little more about the key players of fake news and election and the ongoing election almost since Trump. And now we have another election. Um, so again, timing was very critical on dropping this documentary. How about you? Any thoughts on the fake news and what they portrayed? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what this does. Well, it like brings to life some of the examples recently of fake news vividly. So like things that you maybe see headlines about like Pizzagate, Seth Rich, the Jacob Wool press conference about Robert Mueller kind of accusing him of rape falsely. I've seen these as headlines, but it's a lot more salient when you watch it. They kind of dive deep on it. 
So that part I thought was pretty interesting to watch and pretty effective. What I didn't think this did well was like narratively thread them all together. Like I think it kind of ends up just being kind of random examples, like kind of like an uncoordinated collage. You don't necessarily walk away with his, with a message other than just like this happened. So kind of like the so what was missing for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think they honestly could have had a couple more episodes to tie everything together. Um, maybe have a, a few other examples and have a, a clear message. But I agree with you, Jake, on that one. So all this movie would need to qualify technically as an exhibition screening. I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if it got that. Every year in Oscar season, the Academy ends up releasing the list of eligible documentaries. Like they do it in like December or something. And so throughout the year, you don't always see what's getting eligibility runs. But then at the end of the year, you find out and for example, last year, Dad Elizabeth Holmes' Theranos documentary from HBO was on the list. And that, I think, would be very analogous to this. So I'd expect that this will be eligible for documentary feature. I don't know if I think it is quite good enough to be nominated. But if you watch that and you're a big Oscar fan, it was probably a good use of time. That could be on the list. Some, you know, we talked about kind of the movies that Netflix makes that are specifically geared at keeping you watching the screen um the next category i want to talk about starts with a movie that i feel like is specifically aimed at repelling you and disgusting you far away from your tv um the category the third category i want to talk about here are movies that play film festivals and then are picked up by netflix versus being made for netflix I want to start with a movie that is trending in the top 10 list called The Platform. El hoyo. Sí. El hoyo. ¿Y usted sabe en qué consiste esto del hoyo? Obvio. Comer. ¿Qué vamos a comer? Lo que le sobra a los de arriba. So I had no idea what category of film this was going to be. I just went and played and it was a shocker i usually don't like to watch gory movies this was almost like a category of game of thrones and i mean it, it was very visually striking and memorable thank you jake for recommending <laughs> this movie <laughs> some of the highlights are cannibalism uh defecating on people Lots of killing of humans and animals. Um, it's generally disgusting in many ways. I happen to really like it. The basic plot is basically a futuristic prison where everyday food is delivered on a platform that just, it's filled with all this fancy food. It starts at the top of like a 300-story prison, goes all the way down the levels of the tower so that the inmates at the top get to eat as much as they want, and then... By the time it gets to the bottom, there's almost nothing left. This is my kind of movie. Not because of, like, the grindhouse Eli Roth-style horror. I don't generally respond to that either. But I like more the, like, science fiction-y, elevated thought, the kind of message that reflects society. Um, this one is pretty heavy-handed, but I was very intrigued by it. What when was the get... message that you thought you had a takeaway from here? Uh, to me, it was about kind of the wealth gap and like the how people who have plenty are keeping more than they need so that the other people who don't have enough don't get any 
I think it was pretty kind of beat you over the head with it. Like it wasn't a subtle message at all, but when you get past the stuff that was gross, like, did you find anything about the plot interesting or were you just like, what the oh, hell is yes, this? Definitely. The, the plot it kept me going to the end. Otherwise I would have stopped the movie in the middle. <laughs> if it was just uh, cannibalizing each other and no plot. I think it hits on uh, several different um, societal um, messages. And, you know, one you said, Jake, is very much the very obvious one. Did you find any subtle messages that people should think about, especially now with, uh, you know, everyone being shelter in place, the timing of it, um, again, to bring it up? I mean, they're they're sort of forced into social distancing by, <laughs> um, by being locked in a prison and fed through a platform. This was a very innovative plot, didn't you think? The whole, like, vertical prison cell and it kept me kind of wanting to know what was going to happen the whole time. Like I was, I was like trying to see where it was going to end. I think the first 80 minutes that were really cool. The last 10 didn't really work for me. I don't want to like overtly spoil it, but mm-hmm. did you like the ending? No, I think, you know, yeah, I don't want to spoil the ending for people who haven't seen it, but the ending was maybe just a too obvious of a message. And then for some people, I think there isn't enough message. So what does that all mean for what had happened at the end? Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! And then what? Yeah, it just kind of stops. Yeah. Um, But broadly speaking, this is the type of Netflix film I'm most interested in. Um, So this... This actually premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, which kind of kicks off Oscar season. It won the People's Choice Award for Midnight Madness. This type of movie, Horse Girl, I don't know if you saw that, or Lost Girls out of Sundance. These movies that are like independent films that played at major festivals and then just happened to be picked up at Netflix as their distributor. They just as easily could have been bought by A24 or Neon or Searchlight. Crip Camp, which I covered last week, is absolutely Oscar eligible probably a favorite it falls in this category those are the ones i like the best the netflix films i'm the least interested in generally are like the bird boxes or like spencer confidential which i'll I'll talk about in a second the six underground like these movies that are kind of algorithmically constructed product films that basically just exist for the sole purpose of keeping you on the netflix streaming service i don't know is there anything do you just want to move on from talking about the platform or do you have any kind of final thoughts of like that you have to get out about this very disturbing experience. I guess the uh, the positive theme that I picked up was um, the main character Goring. So I feel like he was the only rational person who is still trying to do good in the world where it's chaotic, messed up, and maybe irrational. So that's more of a positive theme that I picked up. Um, and you know, his first summit. What was his name? Triyamagashi. The old dude. The old dude um, who kept, you know, trying to make Goreng to be a bad guy. But over time, you know, Goreng still tries to be good. So I think in this world of many different things, um, I think that kind of also gives us hope that, you know, human nature could be, could be good. And maybe the world 
we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it also gives you a nice comparison of like, well, we might think we have it bad, but yeah. we're not living in a prison eating other people's leftovers yet. <laughs> so the last two that I'll hit on really quick, and the, this these are the kind of made for platform movies. So like they didn't run a film festival. They probably haven't had screenings. Um, movies like The Banker on Apple TV, which is probably the most quote-unquote Oscar-y movie that falls into this conversation. Though without seeing viewership numbers, I guess it's also the least culturally culturally relevant at the moment. But this is a movie on Apple TV+. Plus. It stars Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson. Who's this? That uncle you was always talking to me about? <laughs> husband. Your husband? What? When? Three years. <laughs> Congratulations, man. You hit the jackpot. You're the marrying type. I'm not, but if I were, can't do no better than Eunice Perkins. Mm. Garrett. Pleased to meet you, Garrett. No, I'm Bernard. I heard him say Garrett. Didn't you hear him say Garrett? That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. It p- tells a pretty wonky story about race in the banking industry in the 60s. It's not bad. Um, it's not great. It, Mackie and Jackson are both really good, and everything else is kind of like okay at best. It had a limited theatrical release, and it's definitely eligible. This actually was supposed to be Apple TV's like big bet for the Oscars last year. Um, it was supposed to premiere at AFI Fest, and then Apple TV pulled it because there was a sexual assault allegation against one of the producers, and then they just kind of dumped it during a pandemic. So I don't really have anything else to say about The Banker. Um, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. It's perfectly fine. If they stop making movies right now for the rest of the year... Maybe Sam Jackson gets an Oscar. The one that I think more people are watching is Spencer Confidential. And like this is what I traditionally think of um, as far as a Netflix movie. Unbelievable. How's Walpole? Did you work your way right up to the honeymoon suite? Wow, I'm patrolling Macklin. Yeah, how heavy you guys are breathing from walking 50 steps? What the hell are you doing here? This isn't a bar for Boy Scouts. Well, well. I said something insensitive to this young man who recently lost his partner, and uh, I think you guys just saved me an ass kicking, so thank you. He didn't do nothing. He apologized. Yeah? Do you apologize for beating down your own captain? I never got the chance. Jesus Christ. A set of balls on you. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's Sergeant Macklin now. Oh. For you to be a sergeant, I'd say all your superiors must be dead, no? That's just impossible, right? So what was it, a clerical error, or they just get a tax break hiring a mentally stunted dickhead like yourself? Jesus, you are a prick. Thank you. So you kind of just give a big paycheck to Mark Wahlberg so people will click on it without much of a specific idea about what he does with it, and then just let him be Mark Wahlberg for two hours. Um, This is like the most paint-by-numbers Boston cop movie, corrupt police force, all that. In some ways, this is exactly like a movie you would have gotten in the theaters in the late 90s like four brothers or a movie like that um but it's just like slightly worse from a production quality story supporting cast i actually did kind of like it like it's perfect for netflix you can watch it and do five other things at the same time but it is like the definition of mindless and i guess it's also worth noting these characters are from a set of pretty famous mystery novels and an 80s TV show. Um, And this movie, other than using their names, just has absolutely nothing to do with that at all. So anyway, I don't know. This I kind of feel like these movies that are just made for TV, like should Hallmark Christmas movies be Oscar eligible? Like I don't, I think that these just are not in the mix. Um, But a lot of people are watching them. 
anything else that you've been watching on the streaming services, Susie, that we haven't covered that you want to recommend to the to the audience? Yeah, the one that I uh, want to recommend, it's called The Scheme. I don't even want to tell my story as much as I want to tell the bigger story, in my opinion. In the basketball agency world, Christian is like a mastermind. For a young guy, incredibly well-connected. He wanted money to run a sports agency. My investor, Jeff D'Angelo, says we should fund coaches. That is essentially bribery. I'm trying to tell him that makes no sense. Goes, this is my money. You're going to do what I tell you to do. Christian had no idea Jeff D'Angelo was an FBI agent trying to build a coach's bribery case. It's also on HBO. Um, it just came out, I think, Tuesday night, and I just watched it. If you are a college basketball fan, definitely something to watch. Or even if you're not a college basketball fan, um, if you're any sports fan, or it's about Christian Dawkins, um, who is a agent and it's a college cheating scandal, the NCAA. So I won't spoil it too much. It's pretty good. I will be interested in to know what people think about this. It's kind of like maybe after truth where they could have had a couple more episodes or it's just a one, one, um, one episode series or documentary, but I thought that was pretty good. Have you heard of this one, Jake? You brought it up as we were like talking about this episode and get ready for it. And I definitely do want to watch it, especially like just kind of with the void of March Madness being canceled. And also, I think my alma mater, University of South Carolina, were they in there for because we were pulled into that and we paid a player to play for us? No, but it talks about different colleges and how much uh, funding they uh, sponsorships they get from different um, Nike, you know, Adidas, um, things like that. Um, but it's, again, an uh, FBI investigation story. Um, so if you like white column crime, um, <laughs> I'll watch her. I'm afraid there's probably going to be plenty more white collar crime going on with all these, like, <laughs> bailouts and whatnot. So maybe a lot more uh, streaming service documentaries that are right up your alley uh, in the next few years. Um, this was fun. Yeah, um, thanks for doing this. I, I appreciate it. Um, maybe we'll have to do another one um, if the quarantine continues. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, I'm watching enough movies, so. Well, yeah, thanks again. Thanks for doing it.